MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, June 15th, 2020. Today, protests continue into their 19th day. Mnuchin refuses to disclose where $500 billion went in coronavirus aid. Ohio GOP state senator fired from his ER doctor job after racist comments. The Senate Judiciary voted to give Graham subpoena power in review of the Russia investigation. Trump moves the RNC to Jacksonville on the week of the anniversary of Axe Handle Saturday. Oral arguments in the Flynn Mandamus case. The White House is pivoting to blame Mexico for the spike in coronavirus cases. Trump moves the Tulsa rally after massive backlash for holding it on Juneteenth. The Minneapolis police chief is in the hot seat. Betsy DeVos is blocked by the courts again. QAnon conspiracies and Border Patrol spends money meant for food and medicine on dirt bikes. I'm your host, A.G. Hey, everybody, it's A.G. I'm flying solo today for the news. It is Jordan's day off. She is out doing what she does best, which is helping others. Um, But I will be joined later for the Good News Block by Amanda Reeder, and I will be speaking with former federal prosecutor and MSNBC analyst Glenn Kirshner about the Flynn Mandamus case and the Lindsey Graham Obamagate subpoenas. Uh, Also, thanks to everyone who attended our live stream Happy Hour Friday to celebrate Pride. I look forward to those every week. They happen on Fridays at 4 p.m. Pacific time for patrons, and we open it up to the public at 5 Pacific time. And we pick folks to join us on screen and ask questions. Um, thanks to Jean Yoon from Kim's Convenience for making an appearance last Friday. It was wonderful to have you, Jean. And uh, if you are interested in, uh, you know, suggesting what this week's theme should be, hit us up on Twitter, either at Daily Beans Pod or at Muller She Wrote, and let us know what you think. And if you want to continue to contribute to the good news segment, you can do so uh, by clicking the link on our pinned tweet at Daily Beans Pod or uh, by going to thedailybeanspod.com and contacting us. And you can also submit your quarantine confessions that way. We're going to have our third episode of Quarantine Confessions this Saturday. The second one is out now. Just search for Quarantine Confessions and look for our spyglass lady, and you will be able to listen. It is truly fun. We do have a lot of news to get to today, so let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. Okay, today from NPR, as city councils and state legislatures across the country are considering dramatic reform to police departments, one big obstacle to change is often police officers themselves, but more so the unions that throw up roadblocks to meaningful reallocation of funding, among other reforms. Um, The police killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis on on May 25th has sparked daily protests, as I mentioned in the intro. Uh, And these protests are peaceful, happening across the country, um, and they're protesting against police brutality and racial inequities. Those marches and demonstrations demand broad changes to policing, but protesters in Minneapolis often focus on one cop in particular. They've been chanting, Bob Kroll must go and fire Bob Kroll. Uh, Lieutenant Bob Kroll is the uh, super special controversial head of the Minneapolis Police Federation. That is the union, quote-unquote, I don't even like to call these unions, uh, representing the more than 800 police officers in Minneapolis. And on Friday evening, more than a 1,000 people protested outside the union headquarters, one of several protests in recent weeks that has targeted that police union. 
um, Michelle Gross, president of the group Communities United Against Police Brutality, said about the union leader, quote, Bob Kroll is the president of this union, but he's also a cartoon character. Frankly, he utters racist garbage constantly, and he's been a brutal cop. Uh, For example, uh, he was named in a 2007 racial discrimination lawsuit against the police department filed by five black officers, including the current chief, uh, Madaria Arredondo, who alleged he called then Rep. Keith Ellison, who is a black Muslim, a terrorist. And then he allegedly wore a white supremacist group patch on his motorcycle jacket. Hmm. Over his 31 years on the force, there have been 30 complaints filed against Kroll. Uh, who has been suspended and demoted by the department and sued several times for use of excessive force. Yet he's in charge of the union and still a cop. Uh, And in a letter to the rank and file a week after the killing of George Floyd, Kroll vowed to fight the firing of the four officers criminally charged in Floyd's death. He made no mention of Derek Chauvin kneeling on Floyd's neck for nearly nine minutes. But he did mention Floyd's violent criminal history which seems to be a pattern with these assholes. He called the protests a terrorist movement, and he criticized political leaders' response as despicable behavior, saying police officers were being made scapegoats. Uh, Minneapolis Police Chief uh, Madaria Arredondo this week announced he is pulling out of contract talks with the union and looking for ways to restructure the contract to include greater transparency and accountability as part of a broader push to reform policing. When a reporter asked if negotiations would be helped if Kroll stepped down, the chief sidestepped the question. Uh, Asked if he thought Kroll would change, uh, Arredondo said, we have to look into our hearts, what's in our best interest, so I hope he will do the same. That's very forgiving. I would not be as such. Not with 30 complaints. Uh, Kroll did not return calls for comment. The police federation's phones are disconnected. Its website... Facebook page and other social media accounts have been taken down. Kroll even called police on a Washington Post reporter who went to his suburban home seeking comment. But now some officers are breaking ranks with Kroll and the union. Fourteen have signed an open letter to the city saying we wholeheartedly condemn Derek Chauvin. Uh, That's the officer charged with Floyd's murder. The officers say they represent the vast majority of the Minneapolis police force and wrote that they stand ready to listen and embrace the calls for change, reform and rebuilding. Across the country, Bob Kroll is not an anomaly in police unions. There are similar controversial leaders uh, in Chicago, Philadelphia, several other cities. And that's why uh, so many reform advocates say this time police departments cannot simply be changed. Cities need to dismantle them and start over. And I agree, starting with the unions. And uh, Trump has said, out of respect for Juneteenth, he's moving his Tulsa hate rally to the next day, June 20th. And Oklahoma Senator James Lankford said the president didn't initially see it as disrespectful to hold his planned comeback rally on Juneteenth, a date which commemorates the end of slavery in the United States, least of all in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, And honestly, if you're defending the president's actions by saying he didn't initially see it as disrespectful, which I doubt, I'm sure this was on purpose, but let's, for the benefit of the doubt, say, didn't realize, oops, didn't see it as disrespectful. That is also a problem. (laughs) Um, Quote, he didn't see it as disrespectful to be able to do it on Juneteenth. That's what Lankford said on State of the Union on Sunday. Quote, other people interpreted it differently, so he moved the date. According to Politico, 
Lankford told host Jake Tapper there were several people who talked to the president about the rally just to be able to raise the issue. He also acknowledged it's been 99 years since the massacre where a white mob ransacked through the Greenwood District, which was at the time called Black Wall Street, and killed uh, about 300 people and burned it to the ground. That's what Lankford said. Some historians uh, place the death toll much higher, by the way. Quote, there are special sensitivities there in Tulsa, but Juneteenth is a very significant day, Lankford says. So my encouragement to the president was to be able to pick that day, pick a day around it. Uh, quote, actually, interestingly enough, when I talked to him, I called him on a different reason, uh, and he raised it to me and said, what do you think about this? Uh, I'm thinking about it. Other people have asked me about it, he added. I suggested, yes, I think that's a great idea, and it'd be very, very respectful to the community. His immediate response was, I don't want to do anything to be able to disrespect the black community. In my view, AG here, the damage is done. You can't unblow a dog whistle any more than you can unring a bell. Brad Parscale is bragging they've reserved over 800,000 tickets to the rally for a venue that holds just over 19,000. I'm assuming many of those reservations have been made by resistors just fucking with them, and I'm also sure that number is a lie, as Parscale has provided no evidence supporting it. Trump has also issued a waiver that every attendee must sign that says if you die of coronavirus from the rally, you cannot sue him. As Joyce Vance says on Twitter, a candidate who wants a waiver of liability from you in case he kills you is not going to be your best choice. And Trump has also moved the Republican National Convention out of North Carolina because he doesn't like Democrats, and he's moved it to Jacksonville, Florida, on the week of the anniversary of Axe Handle Saturday. Axe Handle Saturday was a racially motivated attack that took place in Hemming Park in Jacksonville, Florida, on August 27, 1960. A group of racists attacked African Americans who were engaging in a peaceful sit-in protest opposing racial segregation. The attack took its name from the axe handles used by the attackers, many of whom were members of the KKK, to beat African Americans. Also of note, the RNC is not changing its platform this year. It's the ones the Russians, the Russians, the one the Russians helped write via Paul Manafort. That's a matter of public record, by the way, not conjecture. So yeah, here we have Trump. Uh, Juneteenth in Tulsa, first rally back. Then we have RNC in Jacksonville on the anniversary of Axe Handle Saturday. And then, of course, he stripped away health guarantees for transgender people on the fourth anniversary of the Pulse nightclub shooting. These things are not accidents. And from the Washington Post, a Republican lawmaker in Ohio was fired from his job as a physician for asking whether, quote, African-Americans or the colored population have been disproportionately affected by the novel coronavirus pandemic because they do not wash their hands as well as other groups. State Senator Steve Huffman is his name. He represents a district north of Dayton, Ohio, and he raised the question Tuesday during a hearing on whether to declare racism a public health crisis. Huffman, an emergency room doctor, wanted to know why uh, African-American communities were being hit much harder by the virus posing the query to Angela Dawson, executive director of the Ohio Commission on Minority Health. He says, quote, I understand African-Americans have a higher incidence of chronic conditions, and that makes them more susceptible to the death from COVID, but why does it not make them more susceptible to just get COVID? Could it be, uh, could it just be that African-Americans or the colored population do not wash their hands as well as other groups or wear a mask or do not socially distance themselves? Could that be an explanation for why the higher incidence? Huffman's remarks 
which came amid widespread protests, obviously calling for racial justice and equality following the murder of George Floyd, prompted a pretty swift outcry on the socials and from local lawmakers and from national lawmakers. And on Thursday, Huffman was fired from his emergency room physician job for the comments. McHenry Lee, a spokesman for Team Health, said in a statement to the Washington Post, Dr. Huffman's comments are wholly inconsistent with our values and commitment to creating a tolerant and diverse workplace. Team Health has terminated Dr. Huffman's employment. Huffman strongly disputed the criticisms, telling the Post his words had been taken out of context. He also pushed back against concerns raised by critics about his role as a practicing physician. He says, quote, anybody that comes into any emergency room, I give them the very best care regardless of what race they are. Does he, though? Could he? He actually defended himself, saying people of color would have been better, using the term people of color would have been better than using the term the colored population. But they seem interchangeable to me, he said. He said, I was trying to focus on why COVID-19 affects people of color at a higher rate, since we don't really know all the reasons. We do know all the reasons. You're a fucking doctor. It is systematic racism in our healthcare system, in every system. It's amazing that he, that he just can't fucking put his finger on it. And finally, from the Washington Post, U.S. Customs and Border Protection used emergency funding meant for migrant families and children to pay for dirt bikes, canine supplies, computer equipment, and other enforcement-related expenditures, according to a report published Thursday by the GAO. That's the U.S. Government Accountability Office. Hmm. That's the same office that found it was illegal to withhold funding to Ukraine, the GAO. It was against the Impoundment Control Act. Congress last June approved a $4.6 billion emergency funding bill to cope with an unprecedented influx influx of Central American families and children at the border that left U.S. agents overwhelmed and detention cells dangerously crowded. This, uh, these concentration camps, we've seen these photos. This, this isn't... New. This has been going on for a long time now. The supplemental bill included a line item for about $112 million in consumables and medical care. But CBP used some of that money to pay for enforcement-related hardware and expenses that were not authorized, according to the GAO, the federal government's leading oversight agency. And they're connected with Congress, so they're part of the legislative branch. They provide oversight. And these were these this money... So they spent some of the money on motorcycles, all-terrain vehicles, boats other transportation equipment, as well as supplies and services for their canine program, vaccine for Border Patrol personnel, computer upgrades, printers, and security camera systems, and other expenses. The GAO uh, report did not indicate how much money was misused, but it said the expenditures were a violation of the law. And they are. I've worked on government budgets for the last many, many years. You can't take, we call them bags, you can't take from one bag to pay for another bag. You can't do it. It's illegal. Those funds are appropriated by Congress. And the GAO found again that they are probably violating the Impoundment Control Act. Quote, CBP did not provide any explanation as to how these items relate to the consumables and medical care line item appropriation. Therefore, we conclude the CPP violated the purpose statute when it obligated the consumables and medical care line items appropriation for these purposes and should adjust its accounts. Yeah, so that's what's happening at the border. Uh, We'll be right back with more news from Under the Radar, so uh, please stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. 
Hey everybody, it's AG. This Helping of Daily Beans is brought to you by Helix Sleep. It is back. I know some of you out there are sleeping on some saggy old mattresses at night, and you deserve better than that. We all have them. Myself, Joelle, and Mandy, and Jordan, and it is the best mattress ever. It's time to give yourself an upgrade, and I recommend Helix Sleep. Uh, I used to think it was politics and stress making me toss and turn all night long, and it is sometimes, along with some other things. But I also had a really crappy mattress, and it turns out... Uh, you know, Helix made the difference because they are different. They understand that each one of us is unique and they customize their mattress to fit you and the way you sleep and your sleeping patterns. So why would you buy a generic mattress built for everybody when you can get a custom tailored mattress designed just for you? Uh, if you're a side sleeper or a back sleeper or a hot sleeper or you sleep cool or you like a plush bed or a firm bed, with Helix there's no more confusion, no more compromising on an average mattress. Helix Sleep matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress just for you. So just go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. Uh, Helix was awarded number one best overall mattress pick of 2019 by GQ and Wired Magazine. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it for 100 sleeps, risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will love it. We all love it. Uh, we can't stop talking about it. Helix has offered up to $200 off all mattress orders for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash dailybeans for up to $200 off. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Time for some news from Under the Radar. And today in I Did Not See That Coming... From the Associated Press, the White House is floating a theory that travel from Mexico may be contributing to a new wave of coronavirus infections rather than, you know, states reopening their economies. The notion was discussed at some length during a meeting at the administration's coronavirus task force in the White House Situation Room Thursday, and it focused in part on identifying commonalities between new outbreaks, according to two administration officials familiar with the meeting. COVID-19 cases are rising in nearly half of states now. It was nine, now it's half across the country, according to uh, an AP analysis, Associated Press analysis. That includes Arizona, where hospitals have told, been told to prepare for the worst, and Texas, which now has more hospitalized patients than ever. The CDC um, was deploying teams to Arizona and other hotspots to try to trace the outbreaks and contain them. Gosh, if we only had a testing and tracing program in place, that might fucking be easier. Uh, according to the officials who were at that meeting who spoke on the condition of anonymity, they, these CDC was sent because, uh, oh, no, they spoke in, on the condition of anonymity because they were not authorized to publicly describe internal conversations. Of course, uh, CDC officials in the White House, of course, have not responded uh, to requests for comment. In addition to Arizona, other states experiencing spikes uh, include California, Texas, North Carolina, particularly within the Hispanic community. As a result, the task force is looking at whether those spikes may be tied to legal travel between the U.S. and Mexico, which is experiencing an ongoing severe coronavirus outbreak. Mexico has more than 133,000 confirmed COVID-19 cases and nearly 16,000 deaths. That's according to data from Johns Hopkins. Um, that's dramatically fewer than the U.S., which has surpassed 2 million cases and more than 113,000 deaths. Uh, the U.S. and Mexico entered into a joint agreement in March to restrict non-essential travel along the border to try to contain the spread, though American citizens and many others are still allowed uh, entry to the U.S., including those conducting commercial traffic and agri agriculture workers. Still, cross-border travel is down substantially, and the U.S. State Department continues to urge Americans to avoid all international travel due to the pandemic. Trump has long tried to use Mexico as a scapegoat, 
painting the country as a source of crime and disease in the United States, and he has used the pandemic crisis to push forward some of his most hardline installed immigration proposals, including blocking asylum cases and placing new limits on green cards. And from Forbes, a federal judge in Washington state has blocked Education Secretary Betsy DeVos, Eric Prince's sister, just a twat, from implementing and enforcing eligibility restrictions of the CARES Act emergency grants. The eligibility requirements issued by the Department of Education prohibited some students from receiving grants, including undocumented students and students in DACA, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. In April, DeVos and the department issued guidance blocking undocumented students and others from receiving emergency grants from the CARES Act by requiring students to be eligible for federal student aid. Sneaky. In June, states sued to block her. And late Friday, U.S. District Court Judge Thomas Rice granted a motion for an injunction after oral arguments yesterday. Uh, Rice said, the judge said, the harm to students that stems from the eligibility restriction is not only the inability to access the CARES Act funds, the harm is in the inability to access these emergency funds in a timely manner. So this ruling comes just one day after Education Secretary DeVos issued a rule to finalize her ban on undocumented students from receiving the emergency grants. A judge described the department's rulemaking as likely unjustified and inadequate. The injunction enjoined the department from implementing or enforcing the provisions in the April 21, 2020 guidance and the interim final rule. However, uh, this judge's ruling also states that the injunction does not lift the federal law restricting undocumented immigrants from accessing federal money. The preliminary injunction was issued uh, uh, Friday and it only applies to the state of Washington. But Washington wasn't the only one to sue. The California Community Colleges sued the department in May and uh, also had a hearing in court earlier this week. Federal judge in that case will probably rule any day. I'm thinking Monday. Speaking of rulings, we expect decisions about DACA and LGBTQ plus uh, rights from SCOTUS, from the Supreme Court, on Monday morning. We've been waiting for a few weeks now. Many of you will be listening to this after those rulings come down, if they don't delay them again. We could also hear decisions about Trump's financial documents from Deutsche Bank and Mazars in cases with the House and the Manhattan DA. I personally have my beans on a ruling in favor of the judiciary, but not the Financial Services Committee, and a ruling in favor of the Manhattan DA. We shall see how Roberts tries to cleave this one and find that middle ground he's been looking for. And finally, The Atlantic published an incredible piece this weekend on QAnon conspiracy theories, and it's called QAnon is More Important Than You Think. Likely in the light of a QAnon nut job winning a primary election for U.S. Congress. This article was written by Adrian LaFrance. I highly recommend giving it a read. It is worth your time. I have some highlights for you from the article. Quote, on October 28, 2017, the anonymous user, now widely referred to as Q, appeared for the first time on 4chan, a so-called image board that is known for its grotesque memes, sickening photographs, and brutal teardown culture. Q predicted the imminent arrest of Hillary Clinton and a violent uprising nationwide, posting this. HRC extradition already in motion, effective yesterday, with several countries in case of cross-border run. Passport approved to be flagged effective October 30th at 12.01 a.m. Expect massive riots organized in defiance and others fleeing the U.S. to occur. USMs will conduct the operation while NG activated. Proof check. Locate an NG member and ask if activated for duty 10.30 on October 30th across major cities. Then he posted this, he, she, uh, them, Q, posted this. Mockingbird HRC detained, not arrested yet. Where is Huma? That's probably Huma Abedin. Follow Huma. This has nothing to do with Russia yet. Why does POTUS surround himself with generals? 
What is military intelligence? Why go around the three-letter agencies? What Supreme Court case allows for the use of MI v. Congressional Assembled and Approved Agencies? Who has ultimate authority over our branches of military without approval conditions unless 90-plus in wartime conditions? What is the military code? Where is AW being held? Why? POTUS will not go on TV to address the nation. POTUS must isolate himself to prevent negative optics. POTUS knew removing criminal rogue elements as first step was essential to uh, free and pass legislation. Who has access to everything classified? Do you believe HRC, Soros, Obama, etc. have more power than Trump? Fantasy. <laughs> Whoever controls... Sorry. I'm trying to be serious. <clears throat> Whoever controls the office of the presidency controls this great land. Wow. Okay. Uh, they never believed for a moment that they, Democrats and Republicans, would lose control. This is not a Republican versus Democrat battle. Why did Soros donate all of his money recently? Where would he place all of his funds in an, in, in an RC? Mockingbird, October 30th, 2017. God bless fellow patriots. Uh, as we all know, Clinton was not arrested October 30th, but that did not deter Q, who continued posting ominous predictions and riddles with prompts like, find the reflection inside the castle, uh, often written in the form, uh, tantalizing fragments and rhetorical questions. Q made it clear that uh, he wanted people to believe he was an intelligence officer or military official with Q clearance, the level of access to classified information that includes nuclear weapons design and other highly sensitive material. I'm using he because many Q followers do, though Q remains anonymous, hence QAnon. That's according to LaFrance. Q's tone is conspiratorial to the point of cliché. I've said too much, and follow the money, and some things must remain classified to the very end. What might have languished as a lonely screed on a single image board, his post, his initial post on 4chan, actually incited fervor. Its profile was enhanced, according to uh, Brandy Zadrozny and Ben Collins of NBC News. Uh, it was enhanced by several conspiracy theorists whose promotion of Q in turn helped build their own profiles. It's like a pyramid scheme of bat shittery. Uh, by now, nearly three years since Q's original message appeared, there have been thousands of what his followers called Q drops, messages posted to image boards by Q. He uses a password-protected uh, password trip code which is a series of letters and numbers visible to other image board users to signal the continuity of his identity over time. Q's trip code has changed on occasion, prompting flurries of speculation. As Q has moved from one image board to the next, from 4chan to 8chan to 8kun, seeking a safe harbor, QAnon uh, followers have only become more devoted. The internet is one big rabbit hole containing infinitely recursive rabbit holes. QAnon has somehow found its way down all of them, gulping up lesser conspiracy theories as it goes. She's such a great writer. Uh, the QAnon belief system looks something like this. Q is an intelligence or military insider with proof that corrupt world leaders are secretly torturing children all over the world. The malefactors are embedded in the deep state. Donald Trump is working tirelessly to thwart them. Um... The, and, you know, Q says they all need to be eliminated. All. Uh, the eventual destruction of the global cabal is imminent, according to Q, but can be accomplished only with the support of patriots who search for meaning in Q's clues. To believe Q requires rejecting the mainstream institutions, ignoring government officials, battling uh, apostates and despising the press. One of Q's favorites rallying cries is, you are the news now. Another is, enjoy the show a phrase that uh, the followers of Q um, use in reference to the coming apocalypse <laughs> when the world as we know it comes to an end. Everyone's a spectator. 
Enjoy the show. One phrase that serves as a special touchstone among Q, QAnon adherents is the calm before the storm. Q first used it a few days after his initial post, and it arrived with a, a specific history, obviously on the evening of October 5th, 2017, not long before Q made himself known on 4chan. We know this. Trump stood beside the First Lady in a loose semicircle with 20 uh, senior military leaders and their spouses for a photo in the state dining room at the White House. Reporters had been invited to watch. Uh, Trump couldn't seem to stop talking. You guys know what this represents, he asked, as he tracing an incomplete circle in the air with his finger. Tell us, sir. Uh, the president's response was self-satisfied, bordering on a draw. Maybe it's the calm before the storm. And the journalist said, what's the storm? Could be the calm, the calm before the storm, he said again. His, repeti his repetition seemed to be for dramatic effect. The reporters became insistent. What storm? Uh, and he said, you'll find out. <laughs> so at least 35 current or former congressional candidates have embraced Q, according to the online tally by uh, nonprofit Media Matters for America. Those candidates have either directly praised QAnon in public or have approvingly referenced QAnon slogans. One Republican candidate for Congress, Matthew Lusk of Florida, includes QAnon under the Issues section of his campaign website, posing the question, who is Q? QAnon has by now made its way onto every major social and commercial platform in any number of fringe sites. Tracy Diaz, a QAnon evangelist known online by the name Tracy Beans, no affiliation, has 185,000 followers on Twitter and more than 100,000 YouTube subscribers. She helped lift QAnon from obscurity, um, you know, bringing it to mainstream social media. A publicist described Diaz as really private and declined requests for an interview. On TikTok videos with the hashtag QAnon, um, she's got millions of views. Uh, on tw in 2018, Reddit banned QAnon groups, by the way, from its platform for inciting violence. On March 9th, Q himself issued a triptych of ominous posts, according to uh, La France, that seemed definitive. The, the coronavirus is real, but welcome, and followers should not be afraid. The first post shared Trump's tweet from the night before and repeated, nothing can stop what is coming. The second said, the Great Awakening is worldwide, and the third was simple, God wins. A month later, on April 8th, uh, he went on a posting spree, dropped nine posts over the span of six hours, and, and touched on several of his favorite topics. God, Pizzagate, the wickedness of the elite's deep state. They will stop at nothing to regain power, <laughs> he wrote. Uh, uh, another accused Democrats of promoting mass hysteria around the coronavirus for political gain. He says, quote, what is the primary benefit to keep, pu keep public in mass hysteria regarding COVID-19? Think voting. Are you awake yet? And uh, he shared these verses from Ephesians. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Mm, okay. The QAnon universe is sprawling and deep, according to The Atlantic, with layer upon layer of context, acronyms, characters, codes, triptych, shorthand. The castle is the White House. Crumbs are clues. CBTS stands for Calm Before the Storm. And, of course, you've seen WWG1WGA, which stands for Where We Go One, We Go All, which has become an expression of solidarity among Q followers. If you see that in somebody's Twitter bio, just block and report and move on. Both of these phrases are used in the trailer for the 1996 Ridley Scott film White Squall. Watch it on YouTube, and you'll see the comment section is flooded with pro-Q stuff. There's also a Q clock 
which refers to the calendar some factions of Q supporters used to try to decode supposed clues based on timestamps of Q drops and Trump tweets. <laughs> it's all coded, you guys. In the article, um, she also talks about uh, who Q could be. Um, but I'm not going to reveal that here. I want you to. I want to encourage you to read the piece. The, all these little excerpts I've I've read to you, very small, um, just literally excerpts. This article is amazing. You should check it out. It's in the Atlantic, um, and it's called Q Why Why QAnon is More Important Than You Think. So check it out. We'll be right back to discuss the Flynn Mandamus oral arguments along with the Obamagate subpoenas with uh, our favorite MSNBC legal analyst and federal prosecutor with nearly 30 years of service, some directly with Bob Mueller. Stay with us for Glenn Kirshner. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this tasty helping of Daily Beans is brought to you by my favorite thing ever in the world, Magic Spoon cereal. When I was a kid, cereal was my favorite thing to eat, but as an adult, I had to give it up because all the cereal I loved was full of sugar and chemicals. But I am so excited to share with you now, I have found Magic Spoon. It is a cereal that tastes so delicious, but without the sugar, carbs, or guilt. Magic Spoon brings me right back to that feeling of being a kid watching Saturday morning cartoons. After these messages, we'll be right back and drinking the cereal milk when I'm done. It is so good, you won't believe it's actually super healthy. Forbes magazine says, with cereal that tastes this good and offers so much nutritional value, Magic Spoon may be the future of breakfast. I agree, although it's also the future of lunch and dinner and snacks. Magic Spoon cereals amazingly have zero sugar. 12 grams of protein and only 3 net grams of carbs in each serving. It is keto-friendly. It is gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. And the best part, it is so delicious. It is so really good. You need to try it. With four amazing flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry, Magic Spoon tastes incredible. Too good to be true, but it's true. My favorite flavor right now, and this past couple of days, is cocoa. Uh, it was blueberry. Uh, I might move on to frosted. Um, maybe by Monday. It is yummy. It is so delicious. I find myself snacking on it when, you know, or having it as a dessert because it's so healthy and nutritious and it's guilt-free. So go to magicspoon.com slash dailybeans to grab a variety pack and try them all today. Be sure to use our promo code dailybeans at checkout to get free shipping too. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it has a 100% happiness guarantee. If you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash dailybeans. Use the code dailybeans for free shipping. We thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring the podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Joining me today for the interview is former federal prosecutor over 25 years of experience and uh, MSNBC contributor Glenn Kirshner, perhaps future attorney general. How are you? <laughs> yeah, a few of my Twitter followers seem to think I would be a good AG. And, you know, I'm just I'm a really lousy bureaucrat. I can tell you that after 30 years as a Fed. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. But I'm, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Thanks. Um, I A couple of reasons I wanted to have you on. First, uh, you posted this uh, YouTube video about the 50 subpoenas in Obamagate. But before I get to that, the uh, amazing arguments uh, for the, you know, the mandamus hearing in the Flynn case went down uh, in the appellate court on Friday. And uh, I wanted to kind of go through some of the standout moments because I know that like you and Jen Taub, a bunch of folks were kind of live tweeting as, as it was happening. And it was just a really, really interesting um, exercise in, in bullshit. And I and so if you could maybe start talking about, first of all, Wall was the lawyer that was representing, he's a deputy uh, solicitor general. Deputy, deputy solicitor general, right. It was The he number our, two guy. I think, 
And I think if I read somewhere, it was actually supposed to be Noel Francisco that was supposed to argue this, but he resigned just the day prior or two days prior, but I could be wrong. Was Wall always supposed to be the one arguing this? I No, I think it was announced a couple of weeks ago that it would be Wall, and I don't know if that's a product of uh, Francisco Noel just saying, or Noel Francisco, I always get his name wrong, um, you know, basically signaling that he was going to be out or or if it was always supposed to be wall. But, um, you know, it would sure be nice to know why the Solicitor General is opting to step down at this moment in time. Hopefully he's had a pang of conscience, but who the heck knows with these guys? Yeah, my beans, are, and this is all speculation and theory, I have no proof of any of this, and I don't think we ever will. I don't think uh, Noel Francisco is the type to talk. But I think a couple of weeks ago, uh, he's like, I'm not arguing this bullshit, mandamus. I'm out. And then they put Wall on it. But that's just a guess. I really don't know. But let's talk about what Wall's arguments were, because there was at one point, and I know that you brought this up, that he actually conceded the point to to Sullivan's side and then sort of got into this weird, muddy area about a, a, like a middle road decision. Can you talk about that for a second? You know, it's hard to unravel what he said, because at one point I would kind of cheer along with him. And then at another point, I was saying to myself, I can't believe this is a Department of Justice lawyer basically taking a position that so undermines the rule of law and the standards that govern a petition for a writ of mandamus. And we can talk about that in a minute. But, you know, and it's it's just kind of embarrassing to see Department of Justice lawyers take positions in court. Like, for example, I don't want to get off track, but when in the Second Circuit Court of Appeals argument, appellate court judges asked Department of Justice lawyers, well, you're not saying that Donald Trump can shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and he can't be arrested and charged. And they said, yes, we are saying that, Your Honor. I mean, this is where we have come as a Department of Justice. We're willing to completely throw the rule of law out the window in favor of, you know, not angering Donald Trump. And I got a little flavor of that from Wall uh, yesterday. But he also did say at one point that, you know, listen, we're not contending that if there was evidence of bribery, in other words, the defendant bribed the prosecutor to dismiss the case, we're not saying Judge Sullivan couldn't look into that. So my question is, if you're acknowledging that a judge who's trying to decide whether to grant a motion to dismiss can look into misconduct by the prosecutor, like being bribed by the defendant to dismiss the case, how is this any different? This is another kind of governmental misconduct. And you know what? Frankly, it's far more dangerous than bribery. The reason I say that is any prosecutor, any one prosecutor in isolation can succumb to bribery. And that doesn't mean there is sort of this institutional breakdown. It means you've got one dirty, rotten prosecutor who needs to be pulled out of the job and prosecuted him or herself. This is actually so much worse than that. This is Bill Barr attempting to undermine the entire adversarial process by doing favors for President Trump's criminal cronies like Mike Flynn and Roger Stone and Paul Manafort. It's so much more dangerous than an, an isolated incident of bribery. But the point is, if the argument, if the Solicitor General or the Deputy Solicitor General says Sullivan can look into bribery, why can't he look into 
something that is even larger and more systemically damaging like what Bill Barr has been doing. So Yeah, and and not to, not to interrupt you, but how can you not even determine if there was bribery or not or something other like something else nefarious going on if you don't allow a hearing about it? Like that was the that was my thing. Like look, you you there is a another remedy here for Flynn, which is he could Sullivan could dismiss the charges after having a hearing, but you got to give him the hearing first. Otherwise, you're saying leave of the court doesn't exist at all, and that is not true. Yeah, of course. And the other thing that I don't think anybody picked up on, and you know, I actually spent a few years arguing appeals both in the military and then as an assistant U.S. attorney, I started out in our appellate division. So I was arguing cases before both the D.C. Federal Circuit Court of Appeals and the local DCCA, the District of Columbia Court of Appeals. I think Judge Henderson is the only of the three judges that I appeared before because it was back in the 90s and these other two, Wilkins and um, Rao, are of a more recent vintage. But, um, you know, what, what I was surprised that nobody picked up on is the government is trying to get Judge Sullivan to dismiss this case with prejudice. What does that mean? That means as a, as, a re- as a vehicle to punish the prosecutors, punish the government, punish the Department of Justice for misconduct. If you dismiss something with prejudice, the government can never again bring those charges. I have never in 30 years had a case dismissed with prejudice. Cases are almost always dismissed without prejudice, which means, okay, case dismissed, but government, if you find more evidence in the future, or you decide to rebring these charges for some reason, you are welcome to do that. The fact that they're asking for this extraordinary with prejudice dismissal means the judge has to dig into the facts and the evidence and the alleged misconduct to see if that extraordinary kind of dismissal is appropriate. There are so many reasons that Judge Sullivan is actually following the law by ordering a hearing into this to see whether he should dismiss it or not. And it is, I, I don't want to get into the legal weeds and the egghead stuff, but the fact that this is not an appeal, this is not the judge making a decision and the, one of the parties deciding to appeal it. This is the judge in the middle of a dang hearing um, being short-circuited by Mike Flynn saying, I don't think I like where this is going to end up at the end of this <laughs> hearing, so I'm going to file an appeal even though the case is not ripe to be appealed. That's why they have to use this extraordinary, unusual writ called the writ of mandamus. And here's the thing. A writ of mandamus is only appropriate if a judge is doing something illegal. Now, the catchphrase we use is if the judge is departing from a clearly established legal duty. Here, the clearly established legal duty is under Rule 48A. When the government moves to dismiss, the judge gets to have a little hearing. He gets to develop some evidence and some information to see if he should exercise his discretion and grant the motion to dismiss or refuse to grant the motion to dismiss. So not only is Judge Sullivan not violating the law, not departing from a clearly established legal duty. He's doing exactly what the rule tells him he should do, which is why a petition for mandamus is insane. And I was surprised when they granted a hearing in this case because they should have just summarily dismissed it and said, 
This is not appropriate to be mandamus. I think they might just need one judge to say we'll hear it. Um, but I, I don't know. Do you know? Yeah. No, they got row. I don't know if it only takes one judge. I did. I was talking to some of my judge friends um, to try to clear up some questions um, that I had about the mandamus process because it's so unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. I, I think you know when we were listening to the judges Wilkins, Rao, and Henderson. You know, it becomes pretty clear, I think, where they're all going to fall out mm-hmm. on their vote. I think Wilkins, who is a let's cut to the chase, let's do what's right, let's dispense with some of the, you know, not dispense with the technicalities, but let's not let the technicalities rule the question being presented here. Mm-hmm. And it sounded like, based on Wilkins' questions, that he's going to deny this petition to basically have the appellate court take it out of the hands of Sullivan and order Judge Sullivan to dismiss a case, even though Judge Sullivan hasn't even gotten to exercise his discretion yet. So I think Wilkins will vote to deny any relief or deny the petition for a writ of mandamus. I think, you know, Henderson, who's also pretty staunchly conservative, but actually cares about both the rule of law and the procedures that govern when something can and should be appealed. And I think her questions made it clear that she was really critical that this is something that should be mandamus. And Mm -hmm. I I suspect she's going to vote against uh, granting the petition for mandamus as well. And so that will be two judges right there. Now, the open question is, what does Rao do? Rao has shown herself to be completely outcome-oriented and angling for a, a Supreme Court pick by Trump in the event one comes up in the next few months. So I have every reason to believe she will do one of two things. She will either dissent and be it'll be a 2-1 opinion, or she'll concur because even if she has a little bit of intellectual honesty, she'll have to say, yeah, this is not really mandamus material. But she'll write a separate concurrence saying all kinds of things that Donald Trump and Fox News want to hear, which mm-hmm. is what Sidney Powell was there for yesterday. So it'll either be a 2-1 split, in my opinion, or it'll be unanimous, but Rao will file a separate concurring opinion so she can vent for the president and, and basically play to him. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, that was Sidney Powell's whole argument was, hey, we've got all this exculpatory evidence from Jensen who looked into the thing, and we haven't seen any of that evidence, and it doesn't exist, but, you know, she's saying we've got all this exculpatory evidence, and, and the rules of the court say, well, great, give Judge Sullivan uh, a chance to look at that, dismiss it or not, you don't make an end run around him to come to us, pre- you know, before the fact. If, he, if you don't like his decision, then you come and appeal the decision, right? And, I, and I'm assuming that if this court goes two to one, that I think Flynn's lawyers or the Department of Justice or both could ask for en banc or take it to the Supreme Court. Is that true? Yeah, that's what I was trying to get an answer to. And I think I got one because I wasn't entirely sure if a petition for a writ of mandamus once denied is an appealable final order. Because ordinarily, you can only appeal final orders. We don't have one in Judge Sullivan's case yet. That's why we're all doing this stupid mandamus dance. Flynn is trying to short circuit a final order. So I, the answer I got is yes, it looks like they can do one of two things. They can either, if it's a 2-1 vote against mandamus, against Flynn, then they can either petition the entire D.C. Federal Circuit Court of Appeals for en banc full court review, but... We all know, and I actually hate to even articulate this. Yeah, we know it'll lose. And I hate to articulate this because 
we're, we're calling votes based on the political persuasions of judges, but unfortunately that seems to be where we are, and I may have mentioned this to you previously, in my 30 years, I never once walked into a courtroom, and I, I, was, I appeared before more than 100 judges, both in military courts and in civilian courts. I never once asked myself, what kind of a president appointed this judge? Was it an R? Was yeah. it a D? Yeah. I never cared. It didn't matter. Now, unfortunately, it has come to this. So the full en banc court, that's a loser for Flynn. However, you can appeal a denial of a petition for a writ of mandamus up to the Supreme Court. Will the Supreme Court accept review? There's no way in hell they no. should accept review of something like this because it's not a well-filed petition in the first instance. But, you know, with the Supreme Court, who in the heck knows? Really? Honestly, who knows? Uh, delay, delay, delay. But, uh, you know, in the meantime, delay works in our favor. So whatever. Uh, <laughs> Um, all right. Now, uh, real quick, before I let you go, I have another, about another minute or so left. I, I wanted to ask you about the Lindsey Graham and the, and the Senate Judiciary voting to allow 50 subpoenas, 50 plus subpoenas to be issued to Obama era officials in o Obamagate. And my initial thoughts are I have, t I have two thoughts here. Either ignore them and make them, you know, hey, sit, claim, uh, you know, total immune privilege executive, whatever the fuck, absolute you can't t touch me, can't touch this. Or uh, as a Democrat, honor a subpoena because, you know, we're 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 rule of law. We're the rule of law party now, I guess. Uh, and 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 be careful what you wish for. And what where do you fall on, on this? Yeah, well, I love the uh, MC Hammer uh, defense. Can't touch this. Right. Uh, so that was good. I, I may have to steal that in the future. Um, so here's, here's what I think. It conjures up three questions real quickly. One question is, is this the right thing to do? And the answer is no, it's not the right thing to do because there is no Obamagate. Even, uh, even Attorney General Bill Barr, of all people, said there's no Obamagate. So this is a political hit job. You know, they're either hunter, hunt, the hunting Hunter Biden or they're trying to undo the Russia investigation. That's all they have left to try to support Donald Trump and his reelection bid. And what I'm, what I'm most upset about is that this is the same Senate who would not subpoena a single dang witness for the impeachment trial of a sitting president. Mm -hmm. And yet they're going to issue 50 Obamagate subpoenas. How absurd <laughs> and unfair is that? Yeah, in the face of the intelligence community, everybody agreeing Russia interfered, all of the indictments against Russia, the face of the Mueller report, where if you, you know, you can say, hey, there was no conspiracy, but you sure as shit can't say with all that evidence that Russia didn't interfere in our elections. So, ugh. And then the second thing is, okay, second question is, what should the Obama, former Obama administration officials do if they get these subpoenas served on them? I believe that they should comply because you don't get down in the mud with a pig and fight because the pig gets all dirty. He loves it. And, and I mean, the pig, the pig loves it and you get all dirty. So I think that people like, you know, Jim Comey and James Clapper and John Brennan and Sally Yates and the others, these are good public servants, former public servants. They're law and order people, and they're not going to thumb their nose at the subpoenas. Would, do they have every right to say we're going to invoke MC Hammer privilege and you can, we can litigate this for the next two years and run out the clock? I guess they could do that. That would be steep. That would be stooping to the Republicans' level. I don't think they will do that. Um, and so I frankly hope they comply because at some point we need to breathe life back into the rule of law. Here's the, and here's the last question. What happens if they actually start testifying? Well, that's where I think Lindsey Graham bit off more than he can chew because people like John Brennan and Sally Yates and, and James Clapper 
will run circles. They'll run factual circles, legal circles, rhetorical circles, and every other kind of circle around Lindsey Graham and his happy band of sycophants um, trying to do Donald Trump's bidding. And my first question for John Brennan, former CIA director, would be, you know, Director Brennan, can you please tell the American people about every single piece of compromising information that Russia has on Donald Trump and then explain why it's so dangerous to our national security to have a president who is compromised and beholden to Russia. And by the way, did you bring any video clips that you can show us? I mean, <laughs> I would love to have these people testify fully and truthfully about Donald Trump's crimes, abuses, and corruption and connection to Russia. I think it would be a bonanza for the American people. Yeah. Um, and I do imagine if we did get those hearings, there would be a lot of, you know, I can't answer that question because of, uh, you know, it's, it, it, you know, what would be interesting, too, is if someone was like, you know what, I can't answer that question because it's part of an open and ongoing investigation. Oh, wait, no, it's not because Bill Barr closed that investigation and didn't tell you about it. <laughs> that, that would be like so glorious. I like that angle, too. Yeah. All right. Well, Glenn, thank you so much for coming on. Everybody, uh, tell everyone where they can find your YouTube channel and where they can find you on the online. Yeah, the YouTube is born of frustration. I, I put a crime a day up there. Today I try to take uh, Mike Pompeo to task for not obeying the West Point cadet code, which is, you know, a cadet will not lie, cheat, steal, or tolerate those who do. Mm -hmm. So I catalog uh, the all of the recent Mike Pompeo abuses that's on YouTube going up in about an hour. So it's just my name, Glenn Kirshner, on YouTube. And, and you can find me there on Twitter. It's Glenn Kirshner, too. So I hope everybody will uh, come have a look. All right. Well, thanks so much, everybody. MSNBC legal analyst and former federal prosecutor, Glenn Kirshner. Thanks for answering my questions today. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, everybody, stick around. Right after this, we have the good news block, so stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this Helping of Daily Beans is brought to you by Sunsoil CBD. From coffee and supplements to pet treats, CBD is popping up in everything these days, but it can be confusing and complicated, because how can you tell what's good and what's not? Well, how can you tell if it's clean and what dosage you're getting? And even more importantly, who can you trust? Those were some of the questions I had, and Sunsoil CBD had all the answers. With Sunsoil, you know what's in every bottle and exactly where it came from. It's totally transparent. There's no second guessing. They only use ingredients you can understand and trust. Most of their products have just two ingredients, organic hemp and organic coconut oil. Transparency and quality control are what set Sunsoil apart from the rest. They farm all their own hemp in their Green Mountain Farms of Vermont and extract the CBD themselves, testing for quality and purity at every step. They never use pesticides, herbicides, or GMOs. Because Sunsoil does everything in-house and keeps their product simple, they can offer the highest quality CBD at unbeatable prices. In fact, Sunsoil products are half the price of other ingestible CBD brands. And every Sunsoil product is USDA organic certified, including their oil drops, soft gels, capsules, and coconut oil. Uh, I put a few oil drops in my morning coffee or sometimes uh, in one of my smoothies after my workout, and I sometimes take a soft gel at night before getting some great sleep. One of the greatest things about Sunsoil, it's the largest CBD manufacturer to partner with 1% for the planet, and they'll be donating 1% of Sunsoil's annual sales to help environmental nonprofits that do good for people, plants, and the planet. Sunsoil removes all the guesswork by making pure and simple CBD products at an unbeatable price. So get 30% off your first order by going to sunsoil.com slash dailybeans. That's sunsoil, S-U-N-S-O-I-L dot com slash dailybeans for 30% off your first order. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. Yeah. 
And joining me today for the Good News Block is your favorite person and mine, Amanda Reeder. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I am good. Um, I just ate a huge burrito and that was a wonderful experience. And um, I snuggled my dog. So yeah, I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm good. I just got a, a Postmates um, notification that if I use the code time for snacks, uh, <laughs> I can support local restaurants and get snacks. So I'm going to do that after this. That's the best. That is a very good uh, discount code. That's very memorable. <laughs> time for snacks. I time had a really like snacks. They've been really, really good to me, too. I had a really bad experience where a, yes. one of their Postmates drivers came to my door and like at, like wouldn't leave, wanted mm-hmm. to keep seeing me naked. Mm-hmm. And I posted about it on Twitter and they responded immediately. I think one of I think one of their uh, people who work high up is a listener and they're like, oh, my God. And so, you know, they they took like amazing steps to correct a situation. And I think they did a really, really good job handling it. Uh, and now there's actually new rules in place that help prevent that kind of thing. I love that. Um, and you've been enjoying a lot of Postmates lately. Yes, uh, I do. Uh, I I use that that Sunbasket stuff that you know that we talk about on the show because seriously, it's food I can make in 15 minutes, and I suck at cooking, and it always turns out delicious. Or, uh, yeah, or Postmates because uh, it's just it's about how much time you have in a mm-hmm. day, and I just don't have much time in a day with all of the news that's happening and all of the uh things that i'm what possible news could you be talking about <laughs> it's a really chill time <laughs> <laughs> oh that's you're right i mean there was a tan suit thing that happened but everything's fine now no <laughs> um would you like some good news stories to balance out all of the horrible news that i bet that you have been listening to all day absolutely good. absolutely absolutely <laughs> fucking lutely we need some good news stories today <laughs> okay um, all right, let's kick this off. This first one is from Steph. Um, Steph says, my eight-year-old loves going to the Pride Parade every year. Also, what a beautiful thing to write. My eight-year-old loves the Pride Parade. To her, it's all rainbow, glitter, and unicorns. What's not to love? So she was pretty bummed this year when we told her that there would be no parade. Flash forward to this morning, and she was quite secretive in her bedroom working on a project. She finally told my wife and I she was ready to come out of her room and surprised us with her own pride parade at home. She had painted a pride flag on her cheek and tied shoe boxes together with strings so that they would follow each other when pulled, like, you know, like floats. Each of the shoeboxes had a collection of stuffed animals, the unicorns, the rainbow animals, etc. She even had a, a little light-up sign saying Pride Parade at Home at the beginning. It was the cutest parade ever. Oh, my God. <laughs> so cute. That is amazing. So she tied little shoeboxes together like floats and made her own Pride Parade at Home. A little I, rainbow flag on the cheek. Oh That's my incredible. Gosh. I really would like to see more of that. More kids doing Pride Parades at Home, please, and share those with, like, you know, Jimmy Fallon or something <laughs> so we could do a montage on his show yeah if you have you know if you have a family or not do a home pride parade that is the coolest thing I've ever heard in a, in a, that's in a really long time that's I I would like normal. to see some uh also on a separate note some outdoor caravan car caravan um parades mm-hmm. for pride if anybody is into organizing those that might be something fun to do in your neighborhood oh, you, you know. know what that's a great because I, I was just thinking about how like pride pride this it wasn't happening in the same sort of like joy i mean i feel a sense of pride happening still because i feel like so many lgbt people are like so behind this like black lives matter movement and it feels like pride and that thing are like intersecting so it's like pride is still happening but i was still feeling like the loss of 
like the joyful party aspect. And now all I want to see is like a party, like socially distant parade happening down my street. <laughs> and I want them yeah. to be blasting the scissor sisters out the window. And I, I do love that intersection too. And and did you see Mandy, the crowds in New York for the black trans lives matters uh, protest? I did. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah, and I, I did in Brooklyn. Yeah, someone I follow on Twitter posted a picture of it, and they posted like a, a, a short video of sort of like an, a, a kind of not a bird's eye view, but um, from like a, a couple stories up of all of the crowd. And um, it was really incredible. It was massive. Yeah. It was massive. Oh. Mm. Um, well, that's heartening. The next bit of news is also very heartening. This is from Tiff and our brilliant listeners, some of whom are mothers of five, some of whom who are scientists. You're all amazing. Tiff is a scientist, and Tiff is working on a COVID vaccine uh, treatment. And she says, I'm a scientist working on the first COVID-19 antibody vaccine slash treatment, and we have successfully dosed our first patients. We are getting closer to a safe and effective vaccine. That's amazing that we have people who listen to our podcast that are doing incredible things, incredible work like that. And mm-hmm. and, and I don't know why I'm consi- like always amazed, because our, our listeners are always doing amazing things and mm-hmm. I, I should be used to it by now but I'm just it blows me away how incredible y'all are and it's like the first two good news stories we had today like the first one someone's obviously raising an amazing child who's like gonna like stand up and like be the next generation which is like such important work and then our next listener is like I'm working on a vaccine like we just have the coolest listeners um Okay, this is from Barbara. Barbara says, after nearly three months of not seeing my siblings and their families except on Zoom or to make a quick grocery drop-off, my sisters, their families, and I got together to quote-unquote tailgate in the parking lot of a local restaurant. One of my sisters brought the other two of us homemade, I can't pronounce this word, I'm sorry, rugelach? I I can't, I'm sorry. I don't know how to pronounce that word properly. Uh, How do you spell it? R-U-G-G-E-L-A-C-H. Oh, Okay. Yeah, I feel, and I could be wrong here, but I believe that that is a Jewish food, and I'm probably completely butchering the pronunciation of it, so I apologize. Um, You're looking it up. (laughs) Yep. It's rugelach, and it is a... Rugelach, and it's a, let's see, very popular in Israel, commonly found in cafes and bakeries, popular treat among Jews in the diaspora, made from a, a crescent. Uh, by rolling Ooh. a triangle of dough and uh, and adding fillings. Yum. Delicious. Okay. Well, I learned something today. Delicious. That sounds really good. Um, and I was right. I, I knew that it was – I'd seen my Jewish friends talk about this before. I just had no idea the pronunciation, and I have learned something today. Um, maybe I should find out where to get this in San Diego. I bet you can get it at DZ Aikens. 100%. Yes, for sure. Uh, and then the second bit of good news is, uh, my sister's friend who had COVID and was in the hospital for two months, including six weeks in a medically induced coma, followed by three weeks in rehab is finally off of dialysis and is expected to be discharged this week. Wow. Mm, Excellent. Six weeks in a medically induced coma. It must be so fucking amazing to see this person up and walking around and recovering. So congratulations. Um, all right. The next one is from at Justice Fiend, and they say, a high school friend of my daughter's organized a beautiful, socially distant-oriented listening protest for Black Lives Matter today. In two days, he put together a fantastic opportunity for all who wanted to listen to a broadcast of 
um, uh, Martin Luther King's Been to the Mountaintop speech, which was delivered the day before he was assassinated, with several loudspeakers in a local shopping center parking lot. People could come sit in their cars or under tarps um, because it was raining while silently listening to this fantastic oration. I found it soothing and inspiring to hear such poignant and timeless words from MLK. I came away very inspired. I love you gals and all that you do. I listen religiously every day. Thank you for helping me remain sane. Nice. Yeah. That's creative. That's a creative pandemic protest to have, to be like, I want to blast some Martin Luther King in this parking lot and you can all show up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. From Anonymous. Uh, hi, friends. Good news. The hashtag comic writers challenge was started by comic book writer Gail Simone. She put up some of the collectible comic book memorabilia in her personal collection for auction on Twitter and challenged others in the industry to do the same. So comic writers, artists, and other creators auctioned off their treasured original art, signed scripts, autographed comics, even needlepoints, you name it. A group of volunteers on Twitter collected a database and helped keep everyone up to date. I am a professional comics creator and provided a piece for one such auction. Um... The campaign that Gail started is now over, and the results were astounding. Uh, people are still doing their own auctions, even now that the official event is over. So, uh, Which brings me to my good news. The auction that I was personally involved in uh, was bid up to more than 800 over five days, which is great. The winning bidder asked to make a donation directly to Black Lives Matter and then send the receipt as proof of payment. Then the bidder and their spouse decided to bump up their donation to $1,000 for Black Lives Matter, plus a $50 add-on for the Act Blue fundraising service. All I can say is holy mm. shit. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. So yeah, check out hashtag comic writers challenge, I guess on, is it would be the hashtag on Twitter for that. So very cool. Thank you for sharing. Um, what a great idea too. Yeah, you right? Know? You know, it's like people just have stuff lying around that's really valuable that they could choose to part with in order to, you know, put money towards a cause that's like really important right now, you know? So there are all sorts of ways to get involved from this at home, all kinds of ways. Um, so I fucking love that. Really creative. Uh, all right. Where are we at? 10 minutes? Yeah, we have time for a couple more. Um, mm -hmm. all right. This one's from Eric, Eric Gray, who lives in London, Kentucky. I did not know there was a London in Kentucky. My name is Eric Gray from London, Kentucky. I went to my first protest yesterday. We all gathered in front of the courthouse in London for what doubled as a protest and a candlelight vigil. People spoke, sang, and told their stories. The amount of people that showed up blew my mind. Nearly 70 people were there and people that were driving by honked their car horns in support. I am so proud of my community and my county today. It was a truly life-changing experience, even if the protest was a small one. This area has a really bad history and to see people even here standing together to say, to say enough is enough fills me with a lot of hope that maybe we can actually change something. Uh, these stories from like small town America are just killing me. They're so, that's just so great. I know. And um, there's another one. The next one in Small Town America also. And like, I'm living for these stories right now. This is from Jen. Jen said, uh, my mom lives in a very red pocket of Pennsylvania, and she's always been Republican, watches Fox News, etc. She's also not highly educated. So by rights, she should be a MAGA uh, person. But somehow, uh, she copped to how bad Trump is early on. And so she's been never Trump for years now. 
Last night, she texted me a long message about how bad she realized racism is actually in our country and how on her daily walk, she realized how fellow non-whites live in her neighborhood and how the police need to be reformed and we need to teach kids to be better than we were and make the world better for her grandkids. Today, she's continuing to blow up my phone with revelations she's making. She's realizing TV shows have more diverse cast than she grew up with and mentioning things she watches that feature gay marriage. Um, She's always been an ally and used to make a point of going out with gay couples uh, in our podunk town to stand in solidarity with them publicly. She told me uh, we're such good parents to our not entirely white son, and now she's recommending a food series on PBS that features immigrant cuisines and wants us to find some new uh, places to try foods when it's safe to eat eat out again. She's blowing up my phone with texts about diversity. It's like watching a kid learn something for the first time. She's so excited. <laughs> uh, Mom and I have never been close. Uh, that's a story for a happy hour or three. <laughs> um, and she says getting to chat with me about this makes her feel so much better about the world. It gives me so much hope that enough of us are going to stand up in November and say enough is enough and vote the bastards out. Yeah, I keep hearing so many stories about people. Generally, it's usually stories from uh, people's parents, either millennial or Gen Xers, parents who were Trump supporters, longtime lifelong Republicans who are going to vote for Biden because, you know, it. I guess it just at some point got to a point for them where it's, you know, whatever he's doing, which was unacceptable to us, you know, going back to the 60s, uh, <laughs> is, you know, Trump's behavior. Uh, whatever it is that's changing their hearts, um, you know, over the, over the past year, but specifically with this Black Lives, Lives Matter movement and all of these uh, subsequent changes and the need for defunding, reforming, reimagining how we, the, the police, I really am seeing a lot of, of these stories of, of some some people's, you know, parents and, and young people too, just changing their minds. Uh, and that's a beautiful thing to see. And always remember, we have to welcome former Trump supporters into Mm -hmm. the tent, because as I've said multiple times on this show and in life, we cannot scream at Trump supporters to change and beg them to change and argue with them to change and then not give them any room to do so. So absolutely. Just keep that in mind. Yeah, no, that's a really, really good point. And I'm I'm really with you on that because I think that actually, honestly, one of the most like powerful things you can do, one of the strongest things you can do as a person is admit when you're wrong. I think that shows so much courage and vulnerability to be like, I was wrong and I'm sorry and I have a better perspective now. Like it's something that the world needs more of as evidenced by the situation we're in right now with this horrible, like extremely right-wing patriarchal government full of men who can never admit what they're wrong. (laughs) But, you know, we have to allow people... If we want them to come over, you know, to the side of love and diversity and acceptance, we have to accept them accepting their mistakes. Um, yeah, especially in this in this world of performative cruelty and toxic masculinity that tells you that changing your mind is a weakness mm-hmm. or, you know, you have to have thought the same thing since you were five years old. Otherwise, you're bullshit and I hate it. your purity is asinine. Like, mm-hmm. it's just the most ridiculous shit I've ever heard. People posting about politicians, what they said in 1972, mm-hmm. you know, versus now. Uh, and, and, you know, that that growth and change is something mm-hmm. that is going to have to become acceptable if we're going to make any meaningful change uh, absolutely in, in this country yeah i i'm really with you on that um we have one more which is uh i think a really good one to close with um 
again from small town America. We have getting so many of these, so please, please, please keep sending them in. Um, this last one is from Charlene, and Charlene says, uh, "Mandy mentioned that's me <laughs> mentioned Trump's uh, obstinately insensitive decision to hold his first rally in months on Juneteenth in Tulsa, Oklahoma." As if that's not blatantly hostile enough, it's worth pointing out that Tulsa is the home of the Tulsa Race Massacre, in which 35 square blocks of the Greenwood District, a once thriving black community known as Black Wall Street, was burned to the ground. White residents killed over 300 black residents. Wow, I did not know it was that number of people. Holy shit. And completely destroyed homes, businesses, churches, schools, and the only hospitals in the district. There is no plausible argument that this was not a deliberate decision on Trump's part. As a resident of Oklahoma City, I am proud to say that our state is beginning to turn blue, starting with my home county. In 2018, we elected three Democratic women to our Senate, one even winning a seat that has been solely Republican-held since its creation in 1965. Wow. 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 I sometimes get discouraged living in such a red state, but this move reflects the growing strength and solidarity of my fellow big-hearted Oklahomies, particularly that of the young voters and minorities in our beautiful, diverse city. I feel genuine excitement for the direction my community is headed. Thank you, A.G. Jordan and Mandy, for bringing the news, but more importantly, the jokes when the news feels unbearable. Yeah, thank you for that bit of good news. And, yeah. and you know, we mentioned, I mentioned last week, we mentioned earlier in the show, you know, the Tulsa, Black Wall Street, Juneteenth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, he also moved the Republican National Convention to Jacksonville, where uh, on the anniversary of the week of Axe Handle Saturday, where um, <laughs> I talk about it earlier in the show. This is mm-hmm. a good news segment. So, yeah. uh, and and then, of course, stripping transgender people of their health care protections on the fourth anniversary of the Pulse nightclub shooting. These are deliberate things. And yes, he did change his Juneteenth rally in Tulsa to June 20th. But as I said before, um, you know, you cannot unblow a dog whistle. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. The, yeah, he signaled the it out. The damage is people. done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's done. And I, whether he didn't know he's too stupid to know or he knew exactly or it was Steve Miller or whatever, the, it somebody did it on purpose. It's It's just too... Somebody did it on purpose. Well, the thing is, too, is it's like whether it was on purpose or out of ignorance, both are equally as bad. Well, right. But it wasn't it, it could have been, uh, you know, by ignorance on the behalf on the part of Trump who yeah. might not have known. Yeah. Uh, but Steve Miller, who probably yeah. recommended it. You're knew. right. Somebody knew. Yes. And yes, you're yes. right, though. Trump saying, oh, I didn't realize uh, also is indicative of the fucking problem, you know? Yep, so. you are fucking correct. But fucking correct. luckily, Trump supporters are not the only people in the country, and <laughs> we are the majority, and we are going to win in November, and we're going to end the show on a good note. <laughs> yes, everybody vote, register, and start screaming if you haven't already about getting your mail-in and absentee ballots mm-hmm. and making a plan uh, for November. Yes, please make your voting plan. Um, yes. And then also I want to say, like, I know this is a long way off, but if you're someone who like knows you're going to need assistance on that day, if you're going to need childcare or a drive or a day off of work or like whatever, as much as you possibly can start thinking about how you're going to make that happen, because it is what they want is for the people who find it difficult to vote, not to vote, you know? So, um, so make make a plan for that. Fuck. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> yep. And and remember, I mean, the, the Republicans have spent millions of dollars on propaganda to try to convince you that your vote does not matter. Mm-hmm. Um, if your vote did not matter, they wouldn't spend additional millions, sometimes billions, trying to oppress your vote. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. don't forget that. Don't forget that. Your vote your vote matters. It's your voice. It's your weapon. We have a shred of democracy left, goddammit, and we're going to use it. <laughs> That's our last little bastion is at the ballot box. And so, you know, now that the uh, rule of law and our institutions and agencies have been dismantled. So that's our last thing. We are we are pushed back to the to the line and it's it's our time. So let's do it. Let's vote in numbers too big to manipulate. Do you have any final thoughts? I, I no. You know what? I think we summed it up perfectly. That's a perfect final thought. Wonderful. I agree. So everybody, until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. I've been Amanda Reader. And them's the Beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn, and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reader. Fact-checking and research by AG, Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reader. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reader with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com.